This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Of the Growing In series. So, if you don't know me, uh, my name's Kevin. As Tim has said, we're both members of the Stripey Jumper Club. That's probably all you need to know. Um, we're still in January, so I feel I feel this is a legitimate question. Um, who, who made a New Year's resolution this year? Come on. Oh, we have got one. We have got one. Oh. No, I won't embarrass you. Is it? That's fine. Have we only got one person who makes New Year's resolutions? You have. You have. Okay. Okay, that's, that's good. I read um, on the internet uh, over the last couple of weeks, so it's obviously true, that... I don't think this is reliable as Wikipedia, no. Apparently, apparently only 8% of people keep their New Year's resolutions through the year. So making New Year's resolutions, if you, if you suffer from low self-esteem, is not a very good move, apparently. And uh, I also heard, I think, at least I think I heard this, um, unwisely, perhaps, my radio alarm is Radio 5 Live in the morning, news and current affairs. Um, and I'm not very good at waking up in the morning. So listening to politicians and, and you know, Vox Pops type things, when you're kind of in and out of sleep, isn't... That's, still infinitely preferable to waking up to Lady Gaga or Miley Cyrus, as far as I'm concerned. Waking up to them on the radio, not waking up. <laughs> that would require a whole different set of circumstances. Something like 18 million people... Sorry, please, I'm sorry. Something like 18 million people made a New Year's resolution this year about going to the gym. Which just, uh, I think most of them went to Jules' gym as well, looking at Facebook. Um, I'm, I saw a picture on Facebook um, uh, the other week of a, it, it was a guy who didn't look dissimilar to me really, and, and it, it had the caption on it, bother, I forgot to go to the gym again today, that's eight years running now. <laughs> um, so I've never made New Year's resolutions, uh, as you can tell, I've certainly never made a New Year's resolution to go to the gym. Um, but what I do around about Christmas, New Year, is I try and spend a little bit of time reflecting on uh, who I am and where I want to be. Um, and this is going to link, actually, to um, some of the prophetic that we've been hearing this morning. But I know I won't have the presence of mind when I'm talking to make those links. So things like that word about the caterpillar and year after year of just a little bit, and then you see this transformation. We're going to be thinking about growing in character today, and there are those moments when God can just transform character. Um, and so I want to kind of tap into that. I want to tap into what um, Jeremy brought as well, and we had the phrase about God delighting in those who honour him. Kind of these things are, they're definitely in this mix. So I asked myself a question. Well, I don't ask myself, I asked the Lord a question. Uh, around, and I, yeah, I know this sounds a bit odd. All right, I do, I do understand some of these tools that I, I use are a little bit odd. But I asked the Lord, what do you most want to do in my character this year? Um, and I, I do that because actually 
your character is God's highest priority for you. And we have to think about that for a moment. So, it's good, I'm getting some frowns, that's quite good, I, I like being provocative. Your character, in terms of what God wants to do in your life, your character is his top priority. Because what he most wants to do is empower you to become like Jesus. In fact, he has predestined you to become like Jesus. So, Tim read from uh, the beginning of Romans 8 this morning. We might, we, we probably will come back to that passage actually. But, there's a really famous verse in Romans 8, 28, which we tend to refer to in times of trouble or when our friends are going through difficult times because we find it really comforting. Romans 8, 28, we know that those who love God For those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We like that verse because it encourages us. We know that bad stuff happens. We know that we're going to go through trials and hardships. And it's good to hear that even in the most difficult circumstances, God can use those things for good. But it's in this context. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is God's plan for your life. It is to make you like Jesus. He has predestined it. He's determined it in advance. This is definitely going to happen. So often we think of of God's plan in terms of decisions that we make. And so sometimes you hear this kind of mentality when, and maybe you've been like this, where you've had a really important decision and you don't want to make the wrong decision because you want to be in God's plan. And it feels like God's plan is a bit of a tightrope. Do you know that feeling? It's a bit of a tight. And if I make the wrong decision, I'm just going to fall off and then I won't be, my life won't be going the way God planned it anymore. I want to say, I think that's a really unhelpful understanding of decisions that we make in life. Because God's plan for your life is not like a tightrope. God's plan and purpose for your life is a destination. It's to make you like Jesus. Actually, it's more like a road map. And you, you think, I'm going from here to here, and this is my route. And then sometimes you find your route is blocked. And what you thought was going to happen isn't going to happen. God just redirects you. He'll get you there. Paul says this to the Philippians. He says, I'm confident of this. God will complete the work that he began in you on the day of Christ Jesus. John says about the return of Jesus, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In a twinkling of an eye, we will be made in the image of Jesus At the end of time, when Jesus comes, we will be recreated perfectly in his image, the way he always intended when he created Adam and Eve, in his image. This is God's plan. So I think this is a perfectly valid question, because it's not like, when I was young, I thought eternal life was what you had when you'd died. Do you know, 
you can kind of pick that message up sometimes around, around the church, can't you? That eternal life is what happens when you die. Eternal life is now. You have been born again by the Spirit. You, you are already the first fruits of that new creation. When Jesus returns and makes a new heaven and a new earth, the work he has begun in you will be complete. But he has begun it because you've been born again by the Spirit. And he uses the Spirit to empower you to become like Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now. Now, I'm not saying there aren't right and wrong decisions in life. There are. But God's plan for your life is not like a tightrope. It's a destination. It's to work in your heart to make you like him, to become like him. That's, that's what it is. So I remember being young. When I was first exploring Christianity, I first met Christians when I was nine years old. And I spent, I don't know, four or five years reading the Bible, spending time with Christians. And I remember reading about Jesus and thinking, I want to be like him. He's just, I just love the way that Jesus dealt with people. I love his compassion and his grace. I love the way he speaks to people. I love the way that he breaks through every social barrier of his day to talk to women, to talk to people who weren't Jews, to talk to Roman soldiers, to touch lepers, to mix with the religious leaders of his day and with prostitutes and sinners. And I was thinking, I want to be like him. God wants you to be like him too. So I asked this question, what do you most want to work on in my character? First time I ever asked that question, he spoke to me about my anger issues. And um, I've had anger issues all my life. In fact, I was out when, when Mel and I, we had a, a coffee together this last couple of weeks, and she recounted a story from when we were kids together, about 15 years old, and um, about 15, 16, something like that. I'd been programming my computer at home. Top of the range, rubber keyboard, Sinclair Basic, 48K of RAM. Cost a fortune. And I'd been... I, I, good grief. I'd been, um, I'd been doing this golf game. I was programming this golf game. And I couldn't get it to do what I wanted it to do. And I was just so mad with myself. Because I had a slight perfectionist streak as well. So being a, being a slight like, perfectionist and, and not being very good with your anger, that's not a very good mix. It just means you're mad most of the time. And uh, Mel didn't really know how to deal with it. She went out with a friend of ours who took her for a walk, my friend Jim. We've been friends for 30-odd years now. And uh, he kind of chatted with her about it. But she was telling this story a couple of weeks ago because my anger was still in her head from all that time ago. And I knew, kind of, you know, very often when you, when you don't control your anger well, it's around the people that you love the most, which is probably where you feel most secure. So my children have, uh, in their lives, been the greatest victims of my bad temper. And um, I might even have told this story before, but I remember coming home from work one day, and I, I'd had a bad day at work, um, and I got home, and one of the girls did something that, you know, wasn't the end of the world, but... It was like, boom, and I smacked her on the backside, which I very, very rarely did. She was about two. She was still in nappies because I, I remember the sound. Um, raised my voice. These two girls hurtled out the room in tears, and I sat down on the settee feeling like you do, guilty. And then two minutes later, one of them runs back in. She stands in front of me on the settee. She said, you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. You're just in a grump. 
I said, you're absolutely right, David. And I went to the, I went to the other one, who's the one that I'd, I'd smacked, and I said, I'm really sorry I did that. That was wrong. Uh, it doesn't justify what you did, but I was wrong. Please forgive me. So I've kind of, you know, I've got to deal with this. So I, I asked the Lord, what do you most want to work on in my character this year? He says, your anger. Okay. So I need to take this seriously then. So I've got some books about handling anger well. Um, I, I, I found a book by two Christians who have a background in psychology. I read about it. I suddenly find when I'm reading the Bible that there's loads of stuff about anger and how to deal with it and what you should do and loads of stories of people who deal with it well and don't deal with it well. And I was praying about that. I'd be working on that. I said to the, the family, Mel and the girls, keep me accountable. You know, so sometimes things would come up at the meal table and I'd do quite well and Mel would sit there and go, well done. Just, for, just a bit of encouragement. And, and gradually, and I could say at the end of the year, the children would say, yeah, you deal with it better now than you used to. And it gets the following year, Lord, okay, I've been working on that. What do you want me to work on in my character this year? He said, your anger. <laughs> I've done that! <laughs> I probably spent a couple of years, two or three years, where God was constantly working on that. Felt like, actually, something's changed in my character. But listen, the Bible is not a self-help manual. Okay, this is not about self-improvement. We need God at work in us to transform us if we're to become like Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. Which is, so Tim started reading... Uh, no, you didn't. You quoted it, I think. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 1.8. This, this bit of the Bible changed my life. I mean, lots of bits of the Bible change your life, don't they? But this bit of the Bible changed my life. Because what Paul goes on to say is, what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. <coughs> I'm going to have to look at it, because I've memorized it in a different version. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. It's like a light going on. We have been given the Holy Spirit so that the righteous requirements of the law can be fully met in us. What condemned us and pointed out our failures in the past, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, suddenly become promises that are fulfilled when the Holy Spirit lives in us. Because when you are filled with the Spirit, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you won't lie. Suddenly the Holy Spirit is at work transforming us fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law in us. In fact, Jesus himself, here's here's a theological question just to tease your minds with over the next couple of weeks. Jesus himself is a man, fully human, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's God. But when Jesus lives, when we read about him in the Gospels, is he living out of his divine nature, Does he prophesy to Nathaniel because he is God, all-seeing, all-knowing? 
Or does he live as a man fully empowered by the Holy Spirit with words of knowledge and prophecy and gifts of healing? Is Jesus' compassion and love and grace and righteousness because he is God or because he is a man filled with the Holy Spirit? Scripture says he is a man just like us. Filled with the Holy Spirit just like us. A spirit that Paul describes in Ephesians, he says, the power that is at work in you is the same power he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. You have the Holy Spirit in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, to transform your character so that you become like Jesus. Now, we know that's a slow process. And we know that the end is guaranteed. But the work of the Holy Spirit in your life right now is to make you more like him. So when Paul writes to the Galatians, this is a very well-known passage, but we'll read it. He contrasts how we live with and without the Spirit. I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit because we have been born again. We are alive through spiritual rebirth. We are a new creation, so we live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Let the character of Jesus be lived out in you through the empowering presence of the Spirit. Let the mind of Christ dwell in you richly. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you think like him. Let him create his heart in you so that you walk like him. Question. Re-engage your brains. When do we most glorify God? Here's my proposition. I think we most glorify God when we are most like him. We don't glorify God when we gossip and slander or when we steal from our employers or when we hate our brother. That's not glorifying to him. 
But we do glorify God, and he is pleased, as Lou read, when we honour him. We do glorify God when we show grace, and when we show forgiveness, and when we choose paths of righteousness. We do glorify God when we are patient, and gentle, and humble. We most glorify him when we are most like him, which of course means when he comes again, and we are... We, we become like him, God is glorified to the utmost because the earth is full of people in his image as he always intended it to be. Now I can read Galatians and be overwhelmed with the transformation that's required in me. <laughs> so I just work on one thing at a time. Uh, you might be able to do more than that. Anything more than that would be multitasking for me. I just work on one thing at a time. Lord, what do you want to do in my character this year? Because I want to be like Jesus. So, we're going to spend just a few moments. You have the opportunity to ask that question. Um, and it, it comes with a warning. <laughs> the warning is this. If you're not prepared to see it through, don't ask the question. Um, If you ask God the question, you do so with a commitment to the change that's required. Oh, and here's a thing. This might pick up on something that was said earlier. It may be that you have said something about yourself that defines you and boxes you in, or someone else has said it over you, and you think, this is me and I can't change. You may have said, I am an impatient person. I've always been impatient. As if the patience of the Holy Spirit isn't greater than the impatience of yourself. Uh, So hear this. You can change. God has the power to change you, to make you more like Jesus. Don't be boxed in by what someone has said about you, or even by what you said about this. You're this. And you'll always be this. No, you won't. You're a new creation in Jesus. By the Spirit. He is at work in you. So you can change. Okay? If you're ready then, let's ask the question. Father. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. The image of the invisible God. Thank you that having seen him, we've seen you. And Lord, hear hear this prayer, Lord. We want to be like you. We want to be like you and bring you glory. Holy Spirit, would would you come just now and show us what you most want to work on in our character this year? Holy Spirit, just speak gently the character transformation you most want to make. couple of bits of advice. I've been doing this for about 10 or 11 years. If God has just spoken to you, 
I suggest you write it down. I put mine on a post-it note, stuck it in the front of my Bible. I could have put it on the fridge. (laughs) But just to remind myself regularly, yeah, this is where we're at. I also think it's really helpful to tell someone so that they can encourage you when you do well and you can, you can be accountable. So I sometimes, as I've said, I'll tell Mel or I'll tell the girls, I think God spoke to me about this. And they've been able to, to encourage me and to help me. And it's, I, I realise this sounds really strange, this kind, of, this kind of talk. But we spend so much time, don't we, thinking about what we're doing in our circumstances compared to who we are and what's in our heart. And I'm, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of this. God's highest priority for you is your heart. It's not what job you do or what house you buy or what university course you're on. It's your heart. And his ultimate purpose is to create in you his image and he has given you the Holy Spirit so that you have the power to do that the empowering presence that's the only thing that makes us different from anyone else in this world you know it's the presence of the Holy Spirit does that make sense I don't, want, I don't want to just kind of walk away at that point. Yeah? God wants to work in your character. He's given you the spirit to do it. You can be more like Jesus. And that brings him absolute glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's pray to close. Father, we love you. <laughs> Lord, we love you. We love who you are. We love your grace. We love your forgiveness. Oh, Lord, you have pursued us. What a wonderful love. What a furious love you have shown for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much. We want to be like you. We want to be people who reflect your glory and demonstrate your goodness and your righteousness. We want to love the unlovable. We want to break through social boundaries and take your love and your goodness to people who've never heard it or received it. Lord, we want to bring you glory and honor in our lives. Father, thank you that you care about every decision, every decision that we make. But thank you that you are not trapped by our circumstances and your work in us will not be frustrated by things going wrong or things that people have said. You will complete this work. We will be like you. Jesus, we set ourselves to do that this year. We set ourselves to be more like you by the end of this year than we were today. Lord, we, we've, Jeremy said we want to leave this place different from the way we came in. Holy Spirit, work powerfully in our hearts to make us more like you, that we can walk out those doors knowing we have been strengthened by God to be changed for good. Oh, Lord. Thank you so much, Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to
this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.